I can break it down really easily. Rosalia is from Spain. Arca is from Venezuela. Um, we share a language due to colonization, right? And even then, our language we it is very different. It's it's really just as simple as that. Hey, streamers and dreamers, I'm Otto Kent, and you're listening to The Week by Telecom Electronic Beats. September's almost over. It's Thursday, the 28th, and this is your weekly update on music, culture, and what's next. So, Shaking My Ass to Bitter Babe in Panorama Bar was one of the surreal and sublime highlights of my summer, as dance music from the Latin diaspora makes waves into the UK and European scenes. Whether Mexico City or Medellin, many producers, DJs, labels, and collectives, both young and old, are getting some long overdue attention. But these artists have been cranking out tunes and shaping local scenes for quite some time, and it feels like the UK and European clubs and festivals are kind of finally catching up. This, let's say, L-A-T-A-M evolution in the electronic music sphere mirrors what is happening in the mainstream as planet-shaking stars like Bad Bunny, J Balvin, Peso Pluma, Rosalia, and many more are making their mark on the big music industry. But you can also question who's really benefiting from this boom. Remember Sean Ronaldo? A little while back, he came on the show to talk about if DJing is cringe. In a recent issue of his newsletter, he interviewed producer Verraco, and Sean said that what's happening now isn't the first time that dance music has fallen in love with Latin America. And while the latest wave of interest has propelled a handful of new artists, including Verraco, it also continues to be largely rooted in stereotypical, monolithic views of the region and its culture. So let's get something clear. It's mad problematic to lump all of these countries and artists into a single category. And one person that knows that better than most is Rachel Grace Almeida, the deputy editor of Crack Magazine. The Venezuelan writer and curator is also an NTS resident, dipping into the expansive universe of Latin music on her show every month. She has investigated what's led to this moment. And she's also a sensitive and sharp critic when it comes to considering how these producers and communities are expected to fit into pre-existing narratives and musical stereotypes. Rachel Grace Almeida. Thank you for joining us Thank you. in the studio today. Thanks for having me. I am very excited to ask this first question. Mm-hmm. Have you done yoga tone? Oh my God, I haven't. I haven't, but I've been meaning to. It's using yoga movement to reggaeton, obviously. So it's like you're going into a downward dog, but then like twerking at the same time. I, I really want to go. We should do it. Okay. We're yeah. making a pact right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for listeners, we'll, we'll, we'll check back in about Yoga Tone. <laughs> but yeah, so we're here to talk about everything surrounding Yoga Tone in terms of this excellent new wave of Latin American sounds in techno and uh, Caribbean remix and um, queer dance music that's happening across Europe. And just how to um, relate as a conscientious and active listener to what this music means, how to have fun to it, and maybe even the culture shock that some of the artists have in presenting it, which uh, Veraco, who mm. is from a label that I know you're a big fan of and probably have written about. Yeah. Uh, well, two okay. labels, yeah. right? Insurgentes yes. and I don't know how to say it. Tra tra trax. Tra tra trax. Oh my it's god! It's like onomatopoeia for the the tra 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 of <laughs> oh. the reggaeton. Yeah. 
love. Yeah. So it's like a little like cultural Easter egg. Like the Latin people know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I it's love so it. I love good. it. I love it's it. so good. And um, yeah, they were just in an interview with Sean Ronaldo recently, kind of calling out how there is a difficult conversation continuing to happen about the way you present music in Europe when you're from a place that so, so, so differently represents something completely else. Yeah, I mean, I guess all all nuance is lost when you're presenting it to a European audience. And that's not necessarily, that's not the audience's fault, right? It's, um, you know, you're not going to pick up on cultural references unless you're from that culture or have some kind of close proximity to that culture, like maybe you did in LA, being around a lot of Latin people, being just like one border away from Central America. So, so yeah, it's, it, it's a tricky one because I, you know, I think a lot of people are genuinely enthusiastic about the music that comes out of our continent and like, how could they not be? It's really good. We all back it. Everyone really likes it. But I do think when it comes to, um, the kind of like the the critical view of it, I guess, and and how people get booked. Yeah, it's it's a it's a weird moment because, like we were saying earlier, Latin music isn't new at all. We, you know, our music has become mainstream every like ten to fifteen years. You know, we had it when you know salsa was born in like the sixties and seventies in New York. Um, well, obviously, like in Cuba, but that got migrated to New York. Then we had it with like the first major reggaeton boom in like the early 2000s with Daddy Yankee and Evie Queen and all these people. And now we're kind of seeing it again, but through a different lens, right? So it's kind of happening in tandem where like there's a major mainstream boom of Latin music and alongside it, there's a huge underground slash mainstream boom, or at least what we would consider mainstream, right? That like the deck mantles and all of this is like starting to like book these people and to us in like this like dance music world that is like the the kind of like what you want to achieve right like playing these festivals or getting booked at Berghain or whatever or what makes it affordable yeah exactly um you know makes it worth it for you to come here and maybe quit your job for a month because that's what it takes and all of that kind of stuff um but I love pop music and I love talking about major label stuff especially in the context of the underground and You just did a, or this summer you did a Pride mix for your NTS radio show, Mm -hmm. which you're a resident of. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend. We'll put the link in the show notes. And um, the Pride mix ended with Arca. Yeah. And it was a really interesting moment for me to be like, oh, yes, that's right. Like this this incredible rise of this queer artist that has Venezuelan roots, yeah. right? Yeah. But has also become a little bit homogenized in Europe mm. because of how not only big they've gotten and how uh, they just kind of represent pop music and, yeah. and like the, the cutting edge in a way. But then there's this moment where uh, like a Spanish pop star and Arca become like best friends in the pop canon. Motomami and Arca become this like pairing. Yeah. And I think in, in my mind, I even let it happen where I was like, oh, yeah, that's just Spanish music. Yeah. Yeah, it's it yeah, it's it's interesting too because her music for, you know, obviously not everyone know this, but especially like Venezuelan people. Her her music in the past few years has really kind of embraced like our culture mm. and she's found ways to kind of like present our culture, our folk culture and our traditional culture in 
really quite like innovative ways. Like for example, she uses like the similar like rhythm of gaitas, which is um, a traditional folk music of Venezuela that we listen to at Christmas, right? She in the video for Prada and Rakata, you know, she's kind of like has this like horse character, right? That's a nod to Maria Leonja, which is a um, like a, a folk character in Venezuelan folklore, right? So it's, um, yeah, I, I love her. I think what she's doing is amazing. And yeah, like I was saying earlier, like these kind of nuances is stuff that like we recognize, obviously. But she's also bringing these references to the pop world. Yes. And, and making them like, you know, everyone loves it. Everyone loves it. And I think it's amazing what she's doing. I, oh, absolutely. I, re- I love her. I think absolutely. I get really emotional listening to her music. One of the things that we're trying to break down for listeners today is why we get so confused about regionality mm. when it comes to different cultures right. that might be a, an ocean away when it's so obvious when it happens at home. So, right. you know, everyone in Europe knows Rosalia is from Spain. Mm-hmm. And people understand the differences between Spain and Italy and right. other, you know, Greece and... Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> I can break it down really easily. Rosalia is from Spain. Arca's from Venezuela. Spain colonized Latin America. So and they have a whole ocean between them, right? Um, we share a language due to colonization, right? And even then, our language we it is very different. Our accents are very different, but actually our conjugation is still different. The words we use are still different. Um, it's it's really just as simple as that. Like Spanish music and Latin music are very different things, right? So, so yeah, I think it, I can understand why it's confusing, but there is a very big distinction. Absolutely. And a, a lot of history that you shouldn't trip over. <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah. I mean, to start, like... You know, Spanish people can live in like 26 different countries or however many places there are in Europe, you know. It's like just like our our access, like the barrier to access is completely different, you know. Absolutely. And, and rhythmically it's different, you know. Mm. Like, you know, we, we don't do flamenco in Latin America. That's that's like a beautiful form of Spanish art, you know. And that's so it's it's just very different. And I think a lot of people get confused. And even if they don't get confused, I think it's just a good boilerplate for us to have the next discussion, which is that um, Rosa Pistola and Veraco are very different. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Rosa Pistola, an icon. We love her. She is a Colombian artist who's based in Mexico City. She does a lot of quite like, like nasty perreo. Nasi Perreo, Cumbiaton, she, yeah, she is kind of more in that space. Verraco, JP, he does more like electronic, he's a producer, he's an electronic producer. And his influences, you know, he's very influenced by his Colombian heritage, the sounds of um, the continent, like, I don't know, Guaracha, Tribal Tech, I mean, Raptor House, we could go on, but... The, the music they make is so different. He also has um, IDM influences. He also grew up listening to Aphex Twin and, you know, Luke Slater or whoever, right? So I think I think it's important to point out that, you know, we are not monolithic. Every, Certainly. Every, that's, I guess, one big conversation is that we are just, we're not monolithic. We're a bunch of countries within one continent. And, you know, our countries can be as different 
this difference, the difference between like Spain and Italy and Greece, like the cultures are totally different. Gover- I think, governmentally different. The rights um, are different. I mean, yeah, totally. It's clear. And it's, it's also, I wanted to bring up those two in, in, um, in comparison because one has a very lyric heavy, almost like to the street sound. Yeah. And the other one, like you said, listen to Aphex Twin growing up yeah. and, and my, and, fits into the context of a long-form instrumental DJ set at a European festival Mm. in a completely different way. Both are valid forms of expression in the electronic music space um, and require similar amounts of care when it comes to how they're presented. Right. Uh, And I think Varaco's style and that, uh, the Tratatrax style. Got it. (laughs) Is, um, yeah, it already fits into the context of uh, like long form mixed European-esque techno and dance music, right. whereas the reggaeton and cumbia tone sounds uh, presented in those contexts can be either slightly awkward mm. <laughs> because or it's a like bunch of have, white people dancing to it. Oh my it. God, exactly. You just have the crowd of people being like, I don't know what to do. But I mean, I think they're not for the mind, they're for the body. Sick. And even though I think people a lot of the time think like something like electronic, I don't know, like tra or like varaka or whatever, it's like this is music made for the body. Sick. Because that's something that's in intrinsic, like that's something that's intuitive to us as a people. And I think that's something that we can't forget mm. because I already see people being like, you know, we're going to, you know, like kind of like, view this this style and not not you specifically but like you know when you look at like certain lineups and stuff it's like yeah we're gonna view this style of music as something that's like you know just for the heads it's just something like you know being presented as something that only specifically caters to like a white European crowd but Mm. that's just not the case and I think that's kind of like where we lose like the nuance right and that's the difference between like maybe like a Latin person going to see a set like that hearing like oh actually this syncopation is actually the kind of like it's Latin American dance music right rather than being like oh you know without having to be like oh you need to hit put some dimbo on this right now mm. you know so i think that's something really important to 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 remember is that this is still music made to dance for just there's different types of dancing and you know we all have different interests just like latin music isn't just reggaeton you know it's a bunch of stuff yeah absolutely um or as someone who's living in europe and going to celebrate these artists to like really give some grace to mm-hmm. that context yeah is a, a way for us to not leave these artists high and dry in their own home countries when the wave dies. Yeah, it's it's tricky because, you know, it, it's, yeah, like you said, it's about like giving them like longevity and long-term support. But it's it's really tricky, like when they go home, like I think people forget here that there's no infrastructure in these places. There's no, like, the scenes, the scenes are completely DIY. It's really hard to have a career there and earn the same kind of money that you earn here, you know, or have the same kind of stability. You can't play every weekend. There are no spaces for that. So it's it's a tricky moment, I think, because honestly, like, the thing that, that goes wrong is, like, you know, the situation in our countries, right? That's that's the that's the problem, really. And how how do we fix that from from here? Like, how do we fix that? I I think about this all the time. Like, I left Caracas. I moved in two thousand nine, and I moved to the UK at the start of two thousand ten. And you know, 
it's just there was no sustainable scene like I grew up as a teenager, for example, going to like Las Minitecas, which is the kind of sound system parties that birthed Raptor House. That like that whole movement, the Raptor House movement, the Changa movement with DJ Baba, DJ Yirvin, all this stuff. We used to go to these parties. They'd be in matinee sometimes because um, there was like a government clampdown on them because, you know, a lot of them would erupt into violence and stuff. So then the way they got around these curfews was, okay, we're going to throw a party at 2 p.m., you know. So um, there's a lot of like classism in in Latin America, I mean, a lot of classism and racism. And, you know, it like that's the kind of thing that stops these scenes from like flourishing in earnest. You know, for example, DJ Baba stopped playing music for like 20 years because he just couldn't handle like the class- classism and racism against him. You know, everyone like saying like using this like scene as a derogatory term or whatever, you know. And I think a lot of it is a problem like in our countries. They're conservative countries. We're not conservative in a lot of ways. Like, you know, maybe in the way we express ourselves, the way we dance, you know, we're we're quite like sexually liberated in that sense. But then we're also like a culture of shame and like repression, you know, Catholicism and you know, we we just have like stiff upper lip, which happens obviously in a lot of cultures. But I think there's so much at play from stopping these scenes from flourishing, which is what makes it hard for like artists to actually have a sustainable career, you know, and it's it's complicated. Basically, <laughs> it's very complicated. It is. It is complicated. And, you know, the cultural context around um, any scene that's finding its way outside of Europe into Europe there's there's a lot to unpack, but like you said, this is body music. Mm. This is um, we should be celebrating that yeah. there's um, some incredible new artistry sounds that might be completely fresh for everyone. And uh, I kind of I want your opinion on there's these TikToks that came out earlier this year where it was um, I think it was at I think it was at a Mo- Motomami concert where someone was at the front. And was like miming the lyrics, but didn't know it. And so people started to take videos of people oh my God, really? who were miming the <laughs> lyrics, but obviously didn't know what was being said. It could have been an ARCA concert too. And I, I, it was funny because it was like, there was just this huge battle in the comments. Like, leave this person alone. Like, they obviously are they're a fan. Trying, and yeah. they're trying. <laughs> and I wonder what your opinion is. How to, like, how to enter into these, like, contexts and, like... Uh, on both sides, like, right. and I, still have a good time. I think everyone could have a good time. First of all, you don't have to understand. Like the the you know the main thing about Latin music is the rhythm, right? Is like the flavor of it. So I think anyone can go and have a good time. Um, when it comes to interacting with like the lyrics, I think it's tricky because specifically in Latin American Spanish. Um, there's some like slang and terminology that is like, you just cannot translate it. I try this all the time with my friends when I like say something and I'm like, oh God, I really wish I could tell you this joke in Spanish. Oh, give us one. Oh my God. (laughs) Putting you on the spot. No, I'm trying to think of like, hmm, the word like a lot of, uh, this word comes up a lot in a lot of like reggaeton songs, a lot of new ones and old ones is the word calentura, which means like, heatness I guess that could be the direct translation and it means like like calentura means like 
you know, you're, you're building up, like you're building up in like in like a sexual context, right? And I feel like the the these two words are so like it, it illustrates what I get done so well because like first it's it's a horny genre. It's like it's super horny. I know like we're known for being like horny culture and stuff, but <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true, but it's like you know, it the lyrics are like very, very sexual, and you know, actually for a long time, like reggaeton blew up um, in the mainstream when you know in two thousand three, two thousand four, when like Daddy Yankee came out, all this kind of stuff. But back in our countries, people were like, no, 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 this is this is vulgar, this is really bad. And then you know, these artists that were being celebrated around the world were being marginalized even further in our countries because they also come from like poor working class backgrounds and stuff. So, you know, you had like the conservatism, the classism at play there, right? So it's it's really it's really interesting. Do you when think you, people should be looking up the translation of some of the lyrics of the songs that they're 100%. dancing to? Okay. Some of them yeah, you you totally should. And like it might not translate in the in the right cultural context but it'll it'll be you can kind of get the gist of it and if not it'll be like really funny i love it i think that's a great way for us to that's a little good nugget to give people on our way out of this discussion is take a look at some of the lyrics of some of the songs that you're dancing to figure out if you're doing go translate Go go translate a Tokisha song. Have fun. Have into fun. your into your European language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See how it goes. Do it. Yeah. And then bring your horny out. Exactly. That's yeah, I agree. <laughs> and like, you know, yeah, that horny comes out in any style of, you know, horny horny and longing. That's that's Latin music to me, you know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, thank you for the horny and longing <laughs> session here. <laughs> In the studio, uh, we we hit so much good stuff today. Thank you so yeah, much. And obviously, you. we could talk about this for another three hours. Obviously, but mm-hmm. listeners who are interested in what you're doing have plenty to research. Your writing, your NTS show. Keep a lookout. We'll put some links in the show notes. Thank Thanks. you so much for joining us for in the studio me. today, Rachel. Bye. Ciao. <laughs> Following on from that deep dive and conversations about queerness in Latin music diaspora, Bad Bunny speaks out against queer baiting accusations. Puerto Rican superstar Bad Bunny gave an interview last week in which he tackled accusations of queer baiting. You may remember when he kissed a male backup dancer during a VMA's performance, or when he dressed in drag for the Yo Pereira solo music video, or any of his fashion choices that tilt towards the more traditionally feminine. Bad Bunny should be well-versed in the PR storms that form whenever he decides to gay it up a little bit, but in an interview with Vanity Fair, he was maybe a bit too nonchalant about his choices and the subsequent security he had from the consequences that often face queer performers for doing the same. He asserted that no one, including the Vanity Fair interviewer, or anyone else judging him for that matter, really knows what's behind these decisions. In the end, though, his answer when it came to an explicit question about his queer identity wasn't that deep. You do it because you want to, and it makes you feel good, and it makes you feel happy. I mean, I can't knock that, but I do challenge him to rock that skirt out and about without security and entourage and the entire world watching. The new head of British Vogue is a great pick. 
Vogue, that influential, fat-spined fashion magazine that everyone used to read religiously in print before we became web junkies, just announced that Chioma Nadi will be the new head of editorial at British Vogue. And that's pretty big news. She's going to be the first Black woman to take on such a high-level appointment ever, and the publication has only been printing since 1916. Bravo, colonialism. That said, Chioma is following the outgoing editor-in-chief, Edward Aninful, who was the first ever Black man in this role. He's been there for six years, and his time was obviously impactful. He was one of the first editors to really diversify Vogue, not only prioritizing Black stories, but also featuring disabled talent and models of various body types. Nadi will take over on October 9th, and I will be sure to be checking back on her progress with my annual visit to Vogue.com to see what celebrities took drunken bathroom pics at the Met Gala. Playing the Asshole Chord So, as a music fan, do you ever listen to a song and hear a drop or transition and think, wow, this is such a bro move? Apparently, so does Brian Eno, in a very Brian Eno way, of course. He has a chord that he thinks is basic anytime he hears it in a chord progression. He even called out another artist for using it. He once accused me of using the asshole chord. <laughs> so that's James Blake in a conversation with Brian Eno. It's from a lovely 15-minute chat between the two like-minded artists that was uploaded on Blake's YouTube channel. The clip starts with him playing Brian Eno's songs from his new album, Talking Robots Into Heaven, that was released just a few weeks ago. And Eno is pretty impressed by them. But what he doesn't like is the asshole chord. There's a way of resolving things in songs which always disappoints me. You know, you have a sort of setup, and then you think, no, don't go, don't go to that one, don't go to that one. And it goes to that one, and you think, oh, God. But what exactly is the asshole chord? Yeah. So it starts with a G major chord, which is the nice... Euphoric. We like that. We, we like, like that. G major, yeah. yeah. The, the bottom G in the right hand, I moved it up to a, an A flat, and yeah, that I made see. it a kind of yeah, diminished over a G bass. Yes. And, and that was when your head cocked, <laughs> like, a, like a dog listening to a high pitch. You just went <laughs> like that, and you said, that's the asshole chord. So the asshole chord basically means the obvious chord. But the actual funny part is when Blake tells Eno in which song he used the chord structure. It was in my most popular song uh, <laughs> in uh, Retrograde. This is why you should never listen to my advice if you're trying to make popular songs. So maybe don't worry about loving the asshole chord. The whole conversation is great and a must watch. I'll drop the link in our show notes. Payola or something like it on Spotify. Payola is an old-fashioned term that basically means pay to play. It refers to the illegal practice in the U.S. of paying a radio station to get a song into better rotation, without the station or DJ disclosing the payment. Payola pretty much disappeared after some high-profile scandals during the rock and roll era, but it seems like pay to play might have returned with a recent announcement by Spotify. They call it Showcase, a sponsored recommendation for release or tour on Spotify that will appear as a mobile banner on the homepage. That's big business. 
Because these so-called showcases will have a tag showing it's been sponsored, it's not technically payola, but it feels pretty damn close. It is just another example of how digital music platforms are gatekeeping who will get the most clicks, attention, and plays. For those of us old enough to remember record stores, this concept isn't mind-blowing, but given the market share of Spotify to ears, we should really be paying attention to this stuff moving forward. Before our weekly broadcast is complete, we like to shoot listeners a tip, a recommendation for the senses, something old or new you might have missed. So this week, I watched a mini-doc about a breakout Afro House DJ that really left a bad taste in my mouth. And as a palate cleanser, I went back and rewatched the Gem documentary series responsibly directed by two well-respected scene players in the South African electronic music world. It's called Future Sound of Mazansi. I found it particularly meaningful in part three of the 80-minute documentary where they profiled DJ Mujava and what happened after the dust settled on arguably one of the biggest hits of South African house music, Township Funk. The documentary serves as a great reminder to responsible music fans that there have been many waves of popularity by Europeans in African electronic music, not just the one we are experiencing now. There are certainly some signs from the decade-old film to remind us that European clubbers are bound to repeat all the same mistakes if they remain unaware of the not-so-distant past or stick to what is merely being presented as authentic. I'll leave a link to the doc in the show notes and a rad TED Talk with Spec Matambo, one of the directors. So that's all for the week this week. Thank you for locking in. We are back here next Thursday. Take care and remember to stop scrolling. The Week is a production by Telecom Electronic Beats and ACB Stories. 